Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. Just going to read one verse, and then we'll unpack more of Ephesians 4 and 5 together throughout this message. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, simply says this. Paul wrote these words, Therefore, I'll talk about the therefore here in just a few moments. Therefore, I, Paul said, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. I want you, if you have physical copies of your Bibles, if you have it on your phone and you're able to highlight in some fashion, highlight that phrase, lead a life worthy of your calling. That's going to be our focus as we bring this series, Say Yes to a close today. We're going to talk about the calling that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is alive. It is powerful. It still speaks to us today. And Father, I just pray that in these next few moments together, as we bring this, uh, this series to a close, as we prepare even for the Advent season in front of us, Lord, I pray that we would have minds and hearts that, that understand our responsibility as people who have said yes to Jesus. Lord, there is a very specific, not just purpose, but calling that, that you have placed upon our life. There is a way that we are to live as followers of Christ Jesus. And so as we examine, Lord, this text, this scripture today, as we unpack the living word of God, I pray that you would speak to every heart, every life in this room in a very unique, very fresh way today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to declare and to speak your word, your words alone, with boldness, with passion, with clarity, with simplicity. And Holy Spirit, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are bringing this series, Say Yes, to a close. We've been in this series now for the last, uh, last three weeks. This is week number four. And really, we've been talking about this idea, this theme of the fact that we, we say yes to several things in life. How many of you, by just one more quick poll, how many of you in this room are yes people? How many say yes to things pretty quickly? And most likely, I am thankful, um, I am a yes person I am thankful for maybe a spouse that helps balance me out a little bit, um, and I think some of us are probably thankful for those people in our life. Um, now, if you're both yes people, um, God bless you, and, uh, um, but, but I am thankful for you know, those in my life that maybe help balance that out a little bit. But the reality is this. We say yes to so many things in life. We say yes to another activity, to another job promotion, to another opportunity that maybe is presented before us. But here's the question that we have to really wrestle with, and that is, am I giving Christ my first yes? Scripture is very clear, Matthew 6, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Scripture is pretty clear that we need to make certain that we give Christ our first yes and then allow everything else to fit in where it should fit in. And here's what often happens is we say yes to a lot of things, and most often they're good things. They're not bad things. It may be yes to our family, yes to uh, things that we're, we're going to do together as a family, and all of those things are good. But when we say yes to all of those things first, and then somehow in the very end try to squeeze our relationship with God into our already busy schedule, what ends up happening is we leave no room for God. 
or we leave little room for God. We, we add him on to the end of the day, if I have time, if I'm awake enough, or, or if my schedule allows, then I'll spend time in God's presence, and we have it backwards. And this series has been all about making certain that we give Christ our first yes, say yes to him, and then allow everything else to fill in where it needs to. So our yes to Jesus, we've talked about over the last three weeks, our yes to Jesus, we saw, first of all, has granted us a change of status. When we say yes to Christ, we go from uh, sinners who are condemned, condemned sinners, to sinners who are saved by grace. Uh, We go from people who are enslaved to people who are now free because we have said yes to Jesus. We talked about how our yes to Christ gives us better access to the presence of God. It allows us an opportunity to, to have access to the Father. We don't have to wait until Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. before I can finally have access to Jesus. I can pray to him. I can have communion and fellowship with him at any moment, any part of my day. And because we've said yes to Christ, we have that access. And we also know that our yes to Christ gives us a renewed purpose. We looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so each one of us has a unique purpose. God has gifted us. God has called us. uh, And and we talked about how our purpose as believers, as followers of Christ, is to make Christ known and is to glorify him. And so that is our purpose. So we talked about how our yes grants us this, this, this change of status, better access to the Father, and a renewed purpose in life. Now today we're going to discover that our yes to Jesus lays out a very clear calling for every Christ follower. Now we need to understand, and I want to take just a few moments to kind of unpack this this morning. We need to understand the context of this clear calling that Paul refers to in Ephesians 4 verse 1. So let me say a few things, and this is important. If you're a note taker, you may want to jot these things down. The, the first half of Paul's letter in the book of Ephesians It expounds upon really the doctrinal issues at hand. Chapters one through three are very heavy in theological content. Paul's going to talk about uh, the salvation that comes to us, that is made available to us through Christ alone. It is not anything that we do. He says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so really the first three chapters, Paul's going to talk about this salvation that has been granted to us because of the work of Christ, not because of anything we have done. But then we get to the second half of his letter, chapters four through six, And he begins to note how these matters of theology in the first half of his letter are are needing to be lived out practically in the life of the believer and in the life of a believing community. So our focus today is going to be on on Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. Don't worry, I'm not going to, you know, go through exegetically every single verse in Ephesians 4 through 6. We don't have time for that. Um, That would take really all of Advent. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to give you a snapshot this morning. But our focus today will be on how our salvation achieved through God's divine work is to be lived out. We're going to talk about the clear calling that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, the key word that really notes the transition from these doctrinal theological instruction to the practical application that Paul is now calling us to is the word therefore. 
Look at what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Um, it says, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This word, therefore, speaks of everything that I've just said. Therefore, every, in light of everything I've just taught you, everything I just wrote about in the first three chapters, therefore, in light of all of this, I, Paul says, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you now to walk, to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. We have the, the privilege of having the scriptures available to us in, in kind of a unique way. Uh, I want you to know that, first of all, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it with chapter breakdowns. He didn't write it with verse breakdowns. Um, it was just one letter that Paul wrote. So Ephesians consisted of, of all of the chapters, but there were no chapters written, and those were added later. But, but what would happen is Paul would oftentimes write letters, and then he would have a, um, somebody who would deliver those letters if he himself, in this particular case, he is in prison when he's writing. So he's not able to deliver the letter, but somebody else will deliver the letter on his behalf. And so the letter would be delivered to a church, and somebody much like this would get up and would begin to read all of Paul's letter to the church. And so I want you to keep in mind, they, they heard all of chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then he gets to this phrase, now therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, which was true because he himself was in prison. Paul says, I urge you, church, I urge you, believers, to walk or to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so here is the reality. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. We were far from God, but God has brought us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of his work, in light of what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ, we believers, church, we are called to live our lives in a manner that reflects his saving activity. So in light of God's work, Paul is now calling everyone who has said yes to Christ to live out their calling as a Christ follower. And this calling can be summed up by three very specific exhortations from Paul to the believers in Ephesus. And what I'm doing is I'm kind of, uh, kind of summarizing for us kind of the three, three or four main themes that Paul is going to address in light of their calling as people who have said yes to Jesus. The first one is this, number one, yes people. When I say yes people, I'm talking about those who say yes to Christ, not, not necessarily those who can't say no to anything, but, but I'm talking about those who have said yes to Christ. Yes people are called to treat others in a manner that maintains the unity of the body of Christ. This is, this is key. This is very important for us to understand. Look at Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then Paul says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the, the theme of one um, or oneness or the theme of unity that Paul will talk about here in Ephesians 6. Uh, let me just make a few comments about this, this particular text. Number one, the body of Christ is made up of imperfect people at different places on their spiritual journey. Look at that. The body of Christ is made up of imperfect people 
at different places on their spiritual journey. So what I'm saying to all of us in this room is that the last time I checked, none of us in this room are perfect, and all of us in this room are at a different place on our spiritual journey. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, all right, we agree. Okay, good. There's unity. We agree on the fact that we are all imperfect and we are all at a different place. So let, let me just say a few things about that. How much more, think about this, how much more would the, would the church as a whole get along if we grasp this reality that we are all imperfect people who have been saved by the grace of God, who are being changed and transformed daily into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some, we know that there are some, maybe even here in this room, that are searching for truth. There are some that are possibly new to the faith altogether. And there are some who are seasoned and mature in their walk with Christ. We are all on a journey to become more and more like Christ, but we are all at a different place and we are all people who are imperfect and we still fall short of the glory of God. So no matter where we are on our faith journey, we are still imperfect people. We are still all a part of God's family. And yet we still fall short. Church people, and by default, the church are not perfect. Now, I know that's kind of a hard pill to chew. Don't tune me out. Don't leave as a result of that. Stay with me. All right, number two, I want you to grasp this. To maintain, then, a sense of unity among a diverse group of believers, it is vital that we live the spirit-filled life among our peers and our co-laborers in the kingdom of God. Here is what Paul is doing. Paul is exhorting the believers. He is encouraging and calling them uh, those who have said yes to Christ to learn to do life together, to get along and to stay unified, all for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. Here's the reality. We know this. The enemy wants nothing more than to create disunity among the people of God. This is, uh, I want you, this is going to be a long statement, but I want you to grasp this here. Churches and Christian communities must be known for their gentle hearts, their humble attitude, their patient mindsets, and their forgiving spirits, because these are all qualities that reflect the person and character of Christ, and these are qualities that will allow God's people then to do life together, and when we do life together unified, it allows us to advance and expand and multiply the kingdom of God. Now, if you're up there, if you're thinking, oh, I'm doing pretty good, I've got two out of four, I've got a, I'm, I've got a gentle heart and a, and a humble spirit, but man, my, I don't have that forgiving spirit or patient mindset. That's the one that I need to maybe work on a little. But the reality is those are all qualities or characteristics of what somebody who follows Christ should look like. So this is the truth that we have to wrestle with. A unified body of Christ, I want you to get this, a unified body of Christ is the most effective tool at God's disposal of reaching a lost world, which means it is also the primary target of the enemy. Yes. The enemy, Satan knows that if he can create confusion and disunity inside the body of Christ, the very, the very vessel by which God designed to advance his kingdom, if he can create internal strife and division and confusion, then, then he knows that he can begin to slow down the, the advancement of the kingdom of God. But we know that a unified body is the most effective tool at God's disposal. When we treat one another inside the family of God, as Christ calls us to, and unity is achieved, 
then great things are going to be accomplished for the kingdom of God. Now, again, we are imperfect people at different places on our spiritual journey, but if we can learn to treat one another, to have a patient mindset, to have a forgiving spirit, to have a a humble, gentle attitude when we relate with one another inside the body of Christ, then great things will begin to happen and God's kingdom will begin to expand. What are some of those things that will begin to occur when we have this sense of unity among the body? Number one, we will use our God-given gifts and our God-given service to edify one another, to build up the church, and be effective at, at accomplishing God's purposes. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12. So in verse 10, it says, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and do what? And build up the church, the body of Christ. So if we have this unified spirit, even as imperfect people at different places on our spiritual journey, if we understand that our responsibility is to edify, to build up, to encourage, to forgive one another, then we can see those accomplishes, those accomplishments begin to unfold. Ephesians 4, 16, it says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The second thing it will accomplish is this. We will experience spiritual growth and maturity and we will look more and more like Christ. And isn't that the goal? Not only as individuals, but as a church, as a local expression of the body of Christ, isn't that the goal to be to look more and more like Christ? Christ is our standard, Christ-likeness. My goal is, and, and I don't mean this in an offensive way at all, my goal is not to look more and more like Robert. Um, I like you, Robert. Um, and, and, but Robert's goal is not to look more and more like me. The goal is to look more and more like Christ. Christ is our standard. And and, and the reality is all of us, again, we're at different places on our spiritual journey. But if we know that our objective and our goal is Christ-likeness, then when we have this sense of unity, it will create this, this growth in the body of Christ and it will create a maturity and allow us to look more and more like him. Ephesians 4.13, Paul says this will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of whom? Christ. Christ is the standard. We need to look more and more like him. It's not about comparing myself uh, to, to the person on my left or to my right or to your pastor or to some other leader. We need to compare ourselves to the perfect Son of God, the perfect human, and that is Jesus Christ. We will not be easily influenced. Number three, we will not be easily influenced if there is a sense of unity among us by the lies of our culture or the trickery of the enemy to adopt every new teaching under the sun. But instead, we will be grounded in the truth and will proclaim this truth in love and with much grace. Look at what Paul says, Ephesians 4 verses 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and 
blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Again, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to create confusion. He is the author of lies. And so if he can somehow come in and distort the truth, which is what he's doing in our culture today, if he can distort the truth of God's word, even inside the church, the body of Christ, then then he's starting to make headway. And so if we can maintain, even as imperfect people at different places on our spiritual journey, if we can maintain this sense of unity, it allows us to be able to stand grounded in the truth of God's word. Folks, that's that's why our mission, that's why our vision here at Glad Tidings Church is to develop biblically sound believers, people who know and and own the word of God so that we can then do what? Reflect the character of Christ Jesus. Number four, then, we will become a life-giving entity. If we are unified as a body, we will become a life-giving entity that will experience incredible growth and will be the catalyst for transformation in our community. If we can be unified Remember, the, the unified body of Christ is the, is the primary tool at God's disposal to advance and expand the kingdom of God. If we can be unified, imagine what God can do through a, a unified. I mean, he can work and he does work through disunity, but imagine what he can do as he works through a unified body of Christ to, to advance and expand his kingdom. If we, can treat, if we can't treat one another in a godly manner inside the church, How will we be effective at reaching a lost world for Christ? So when we say yes to Christ, yes, people are those who are called to treat others in a manner that maintains the unity of the body of Christ. Number two, yes, people, those who have said yes to Christ are people who learn to put off the old self and put on the new self. Let me kind of unpack that just a little bit this morning. The old self reflects the the old pagan habits and traditions and way of living that is contrary to God's way. So when Paul talks about the old self or the old man, he is talking about those old pagan traditions and habits and sinful, godless activities that used to define the Gentile people before they said yes to Jesus Christ. Remember in Ephesians chapter two, we were children of wrath, but because God is rich in mercy, uh, we are now a part of his family. So Paul would begins in this text, he begins to exhort um, and challenge the believers to not live as the Gentile people used to live. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 17, he says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. The Gentile way of life was marked by spiritual darkness, hopeless confusion, complete godlessness. And the key ingredient of the old self was all about living life to please self and satisfy our own desires instead of living life to please God and satisfy him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs shall be the kingdom, for they will be satisfied. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, listen to what Paul says, for they are hopelessly confused. So he's describing uh, the way of the Gentile. They are hopelessly confused. Their minds, they're full of darkness. They wander uh, far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Paul will also note that this is not what they have learned. 
This is not the Christ-like way that they were called to, that they have experienced and that they have been taught by Paul and by the scriptures. Ephesians 4 verse 20, Paul simply says this, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Remember, Paul just got done in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, talking about our salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, not of anything we've done, but because of everything he did. And so now he's saying to this church, he's saying that this, this old way of life, this old man, this is not what you learned about Christ. It is contrary to the Christ-like way. So as Christ followers, we too are being called to abandon the old man and to put on the new man. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 22. He says, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The old nature, it is corrupted by lust and deception. But the new nature has been created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. So then the question becomes, how do we, when we say yes to Christ, how do we abandon our old nature and begin to walk in the new nature that has been granted to us in Jesus Christ? How do we do that? A few things that we should consider. First of all, the putting off the old nature and the putting on the new nature is an ongoing daily discipline. Don't be confused and think that the moment you say yes to Jesus, that the old nature is completely gone and you don't have to do anything else. There is an ongoing daily discipline where we have to continue to put off the old way and the old habits and continue to put on this new nature that has been created by God. I can choose to follow my sinful flesh or I can choose to follow the righteous character of Christ. So the question is, what choice are we making daily? Are we choosing to follow Christ even when it's not the popular decision or the easy decision? Putting off of the old nature and putting on the new nature, it also requires the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in our own human flesh or in our own human initiative. We can make a conscious decision of who we will follow, sinful flesh or Christ, but without the help of the Spirit, we will fall short. I talked about the passage in Romans, and again, I think this is a passage of a, of a man who has said yes to Christ, a man or woman who has said yes to Jesus Christ, a person who is following Christ but is trying to have mastery or victory over temptation and sin in their life by their own human flesh, and they keep falling short. This is what we read, and I'm just paraphrasing in Romans. Paul will say this, the good that I want to do, I, I, I end up not doing. And the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. And it's this, this kind of struggle that we see of somebody who is, I believe, who has said yes to Christ, but is trying to have victory over the sin in their life or over the old nature in their life by trying to accomplish that victory in their own human effort. And every single time they're falling short. But when we walk by the power of the Spirit that is in us, the Spirit of God that lives inside, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in us. And when we depend, when we rely on, when we uh, submit to the Spirit of God that is in us, it will allow us to have victory over those areas in our life. The Holy Spirit, listen, is the one who leads us into all truth. 
So if we submit to the Holy Spirit, then he will lead us down paths of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us when we are steeped in sin. And he's also the one who cleanses us when we are being renewed in Christ. So if we submit to the work of the Spirit in us, he will convict us of sin, but he will also cleanse us to become more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is also the one who sanctifies us or simply makes us holy. That's just simply the the process of becoming what God has already declared us to be. The moment we said yes to Christ, we are declared righteous. But now there is this ongoing process. Uh, There is this work that must take place, this cleansing that must take place where we throw off the old self and put on the new self, where we are being daily conformed to the image of Christ in that process of becoming holy or becoming what Christ has declared us to be and transform us, that process is helped by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who sanctifies us, and he is the one who transforms us into the image of Christ. So when we submit to the work of the Spirit who lives in us, then transformation will happen, and and God will begin to work in our lives. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us, who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us, look who, who, who's the one that makes us more and more like him? It's the Spirit. He makes us more and more like him as we are being changed into his glorious image. It is a process. Christ followers have all of the Holy Spirit. But the question we have to wrestle with is, are we relying on the Holy Spirit to help us put off the old nature and put on the new nature? If you try to do this in your own flesh, you will continue to miss the mark. So we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. The third way of putting off the old and putting on the new, putting off the old nature and putting on of the new nature can only be accomplished when we know what the new nature looks like. I need to know what I'm striving to look like. What is the objective? The objective is Christ-likeness. It's to look more and more like Jesus. God's word reveals to me what Christ's likeness looks like, truly righteous and holy, as he says in chapter four, verse 24. Remember last week, we talked about how our purpose as believers in Christ, our purpose is to make Christ known by reflecting his character. Well, how do we reflect his character if we don't spend time in his word? Because we can't reflect something that we don't know what we're trying to reflect. And so we need to know what the objective is. We need to know what Christ's likeness looks like a gentle heart, a humble attitude, a forgiving spirit, a patient mindset. Those are all characteristics of our Father in heaven. And then we need to maybe do what David did and pray this prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, but we should pray it often. Lord, search me. See if there is any wicked way in me. See if there's anything that falls short that needs to be dealt with. Lord, some way that I'm not even aware of, some attitude, some deep hurt or or pain that needs to be dealt with. And, And Lord, help me to deal with that area in my life. And then the fruit of our life will determine if we are putting on this new nature. Number four, the putting off of the old nature, putting on the new nature, it will impact all areas of our life. When we put on, or when we put off the old and we put on the new, all areas of our life will be impacted. Our speech will change, our attitude will change, and our behavior will change. Notice what Paul says. If you still have your Bibles open, it will not be up on the screen, but I want to read chapter four, verses 25 to 32 to you, and I want you to see the change that occurs. So he, he tells them to throw off the sinful nature, the former way of life, 
and to put on the new nature created to be like God. And then listen to what this impact should look like. He says to them after that, he says in verse 25, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. When we put off the old and put on the new, it impacts every area of our life. It will affect our speech. It will affect our behavior. It will affect our attitude. Now, there might still be remnants of the old life hanging on, whether it be anger or forgiveness or whatever it is, and those are areas that will continue to be dealt with as we submit to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we don't want any part of the old life hanging on because it distorts the image of Jesus Christ. What is the objective? The objective is to look more and more like Christ. And so every single day, I pray and hope every single day as, as, he is, as he is transforming me from glory to glory so that I would look more like the image and the character of Jesus Christ, I pray and hope that, that my attitude yesterday is a little bit better than it was today as I submit to the work of the Spirit. I pray that my speech and my behavior looks a little bit more like Christ tomorrow than it does today. And it is a process, and we are all at a different place on that spiritual journey, but as we submit to the work of the Lord in us, he will begin to change change us, renew us, transform us so that we can better reflect his character. And listen to what happens. When we better reflect the character of Christ, then we are fulfilling our calling and our objective to make Christ known. Through our life, through our actions, through our behavior, through our speech, we are revealing Christ. And if we are looking more and more like him, then Christ will be realized through our life. Finally, number three, yes, people, They learn to imitate God in all they do. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. So the question is this. Are we striving to model and imitate the people around us, or are we striving to look and live more and more like Christ? Remember, Christ is our standard. He is the standard of perfection. Imitating Christ means that we are to live a life of sacrificial love, perfect love for God and perfect love for others. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 5, to live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. First John three sixteen, John writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Imitating Christ means we are to live a life of complete gratitude toward God and learn to please him in every area of our life. Those who lust after more of the things of this world have not learned to be grateful for what they have in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Again, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 3. It says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this 
world. And so we need to learn to be grateful and thankful for what is ours in Christ. And what is ours in Christ? Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3. He talked about how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In chapter 1 verse 3, we have received an inheritance that is from God. Ephesians 1:11. We have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the more that he has in store for us. Ephesians 1 verse 14. We've been granted, we talked about this, a change of status. We're no longer condemned sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. We're no longer dead, but we are spiritually alive. We're no longer enslaved, but we are set free in Christ. We have access to God. We have a renewed purpose, and we must learn to be grateful for what we have in Christ Jesus. Number two, we must learn to live our lives to do only that which pleases the Lord. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 10 through 11. Carefully determine, Paul says, what pleases the Lord, take no part in, a worthless, in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. We should evaluate our way of living and ask ourselves this question. Is my life, my speech, my actions pleasing to God or are they despicable to him? We are to imitate God in every aspect of our life. And so we have to evaluate our life and ask, is my speech pleasing to him? Is my behavior pleasing to God the Father? Is my my interactions and my actions with others pleasing to him or is it despicable? Our aim, listen, should always be to please Christ so that when we stand before him, one day we hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Our motivation to please Christ, though, must be out of love for him and obedience to his word. And finally, number three, we must learn to give thanks to God for everything. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't tune me out just yet. Worship team's gonna come. Listen to what Paul says, chapter five, verse 20. He says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was our opening call to worship this morning. But in light of what Paul says in Ephesians 4 and also in Ephesians 5, here's the question that we must wrestle with. Is gratitude our natural response to the person and presence of Jesus Christ? Is gratitude my natural response, thankfulness for what is ours. We have an inheritance that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. We have a status change. We have a renewed purpose. We have better access. All that belongs to us in Christ. And so our response, is our response that of gratitude? Or are we responding in a manner that is to please self? and to satisfy our own desires.